Well, famous Sydney chef and restaurateur, Stefano Manfredi, you might have heard of him. Uh, he came back from uh, Italy a few weeks ago. And like everyone else who's come back from overseas, he had to go into 14 days of hotel quarantine. Now, during his time in hotel quarantine, he uh, used social media, I think Twitter, and he tweeted about his experiences in the hotel for 14 days. And he, uh, he called what he experienced uh, cooped up in that tiny room 24-7, you know, 14 days. He called it sensory deprivation, which if you know is a, a sort of form of torture, right? Sensory deprivation. Now, some of you might think, oh, stop complaining. What's the big deal? It's a hotel room. I actually, you know, sympathize with him. I would absolutely hate something like that. But then I reckon, worst of all, um, it was when he tweeted about the kind of food that they were served in the hotel quarantine. Um, here, I'll show you a picture of an example um, that he tweeted about it. This is an example of a lunch that they had. All right, keep in mind, he is a chef. He is a chef. This would have been some form of torture for a chef. Um, and again, I sympathize with that. I mean, I'm Asian. I reckon the small room is bad enough. I could maybe put up with that. But food like this, ugh. All right, jokes aside, I do wonder, what restrictions would you find most difficult? I mean, say you had to be in hotel quarantine for 14 days, or say you were in Melbourne during the recent stage four, the hard lockdown that they've experienced or they're just coming out of. What would you have had most difficulty with, say you were in Melbourne? Uh, would it have been the one hour exercise rule, right? And only five kilometers radius of where you live, that's where you could go out? Uh, would it have been the um, 8 p.m. curfew, right? Stay at home, can't go out after 8 p.m. until the morning. Or would it be, I suspect for a lot of you, parents especially, the idea that you have to homeschool your kids for months again. Oh, that would, be, that would drive me crazy. And then there are the really difficult, the really tragic restrictions for people, not just in Melbourne and Victoria. I mean, those who, uh, maybe some of you who can't actually travel interstate to see sick family and friends. That's pretty hard, isn't it? Or one woman I read about um, who had to make the difficult decision of leaving her terminally ill father overseas so she can be, come back to Australia uh, while she still can. I mean, that is tragic, isn't it? Restrictions are everywhere because of COVID. And while, again, we understand why they're there, the border closures and all that kind of stuff, they've made life pretty hard. And so it's not surprising, is it, that increasingly, especially as we get to second and third wave um, outbreaks around the world, that, that this is where people are protesting the most, the resistance to restrictions, right? The protest, or uh, those who just deliberately say, stuff you government, whatever you say, I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. Um, that's happening in Australia, but even more so all around the world. And we understand because in our culture, freedom is probably the supreme value, isn't it? There's nothing worse than losing our freedoms. And so, you know, out of the, the three sermon series that we have about being distanced, being canceled, well, I reckon the restriction one is the one that we grate with the most. I mean, things being distanced, well, we've got things like Zoom, um, things being canceled, we make alternative arrangements, whether it's hobbies or travel plans, but restrictions, taking away our freedom, well, that one is the one that we find hardest to stomach. So again, we ask the question, what possible good news does God have for us in a time when so much of life feels, frankly, like we're in a straitjacket, yeah? What good news is there? Well, the passage that we just read in Matthew 28 tells us, this passage is often called the Great Commission. It's a very famous passage, isn't it? Because you see, until this event in history, people 
had only known restrictions. Yeah, there were restrictions on worship, restrictions on how people could relate to God, restrictions on who could relate to God, who was in, who was out, restrictions on who you could be friends with, who you could marry, who you could do business with, restrictions based on your race, based on your ethnicity, based on your gender, based even on your social status. Well, guess what? Jesus changed all of that here in Matthew 28. It was monumentally good news back then, and it still is good news now. Why don't we pray, and then we'll get into this passage. Lord Jesus, help us today as we come face to face with your final words to your disciples from the Gospel of Matthew. Help us to see where we play our part in this unrestricted good news that you have brought. Please change us. Please speak to us through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, where we pick up in Matthew 28 is really where we left off last week, right? The last couple of weeks, we were in Mark's biography of Jesus. Well, we switched biographies to Matthew's biographies of Jesus, biography of Jesus. And we're picking up the story after the terrible events of Gethsemane and the crucifixion and death of Jesus that we saw in Mark last week. All right, last week, remember God uncancelled, his uncancelled plan meant that he went all the way to the cross and God did it. So that the sin that spoiled the world and spoiled our relationship with God might be dealt with once and for all. Jesus, you remember the Son of God, He went to the cross to pay the full penalty in our place for our sins. His costly sacrifice for us meant that nothing would ever distance us from God ever again. Well, then three days later, as Jesus said He would, He comes out of the tomb and He comes out alive. And so you see, not only is sin defeated by the death of Jesus on the cross, now the resurrection means that death has been overcome completely. Jesus walks out of the tomb alive, never to die again. And the rest of the Bible tells us that actually when he comes out of the tomb alive, he is the first person resurrected to guarantee that one day, in fact, the whole universe and all of his people would be resurrected and made perfect just like him, right? He's the first that guarantees the rest. Well, here at the end of Matthew's biography, as we read earlier, Jesus goes back to where he all started, to the place called Galilee. And there with him are the group of friends, his disciples, who started all with him. And he decides to meet them on top of a mountain. Now, we don't know what mountain, but the fact that it's a mountain is very symbolic, very significant, because you see, a mountain was where it all began for God's Old Testament people, the Jews. Yeah, remember that? On Mount Sinai, they came face to face with the Lord Yahweh God who rescued them from Egypt. And it was there that through Moses, they received the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus here, when he's on a mountain and he's speaking to the core of his group of people, well, it's like it's like he's the new Moses, isn't it? Forming a new people. But in fact, forget Moses, because I actually reckon he's taking on the role of the Lord, Yahweh, by being on that mountain, by forming his new people. And that's why, taking that role as Yahweh, he declares that now he has been given all authority. All right, you see that in verse 18? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, the risen Jesus the glorious Lord in flesh, 
Well, he is now the supreme ruler over all the world. God, the Father, has given him all authority as the eternal risen king who will always live to reign. And you know what that means, don't you? It means that he gets to call all the shots. Now, as you know, in both uh, places like Australia and the USA, there have been a bit of a tussle, a battle between federal and state governments, yeah, when it comes to COVID restrictions. I mean, the states want to do one thing, but the federal government want to do another. But in a place like New Zealand, they don't have that issue. It's, New Zealand's a very small country, um, and there are basically no state-level governments. For them, any local decisions gets overridden by the office of the prime minister, the authority of the prime minister and her national government. See, when it comes to COVID restrictions, we know that authority matters. Like, who has ultimate authority? They get to call the shots, don't they? Well, you know what? When it comes to the world, God has declared that Jesus is the authority. He is the authority overall, the king overall. So what he says goes. Now, before we go further, it's worth me asking you the question, isn't it? Have you submitted to Jesus's authority? Now, in our culture, the idea of submitting to any authority is something that we have a pretty allergic reaction to, right? As I said before, almost nothing is as valued and treasured in our culture as personal freedom. But I hope that you know and I know that true freedom is not actually to live without rules and to live under no authority. Let me just ask you, how do you feel about those who deliberately, in the name of personal freedom, flout COVID restrictions and COVID rules? I think that you and I, as well as most of the public, think that's not actually a good exercise of freedom. That's not true freedom. It's actually pretty selfish, isn't it, in a pandemic? Now, as an aside, this is why living under Jesus' authority as his followers does not mean that we can disobey our earthly authorities anytime we like. Now, that needs to be said right now because there are some Christians and churches that have hit the news who have done so, they've disobeyed COVID restrictions, some pretty boldly and publicly, in the name of Jesus. Now, that's not only foolish and selfish in a pandemic, it's also actually disobedient to Jesus' authority. It actually is. Because Jesus calls on his people to obey earthly governments that he has actually set over us temporarily. And we're to do that until he returns, all right? And we're only to disobey earthly governments when they cross some pretty major lines and call us to disobey God, our ultimate authority, disobey God with no wiggle room. And guess what? COVID restrictions is not one of those major lines. But coming back to my point, um, have you submitted to Jesus's authority? Have you? I mean, much as we might have an allergic reaction to the idea of submitting to anyone's authority, I hope you see that Jesus is offering an authority that is absolutely and completely for our greatest good and actually our greatest joy. Jesus' authority is the authority of the God who created us, designed us, made us, knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus' authority is for our flourishing. It's for our well-being. It's actually for our greatest joy. And we know this because of the way that Jesus exercises authority. I mean, read about him in the biographies. How was he as an authoritative figure? Was he a bully? Was he dominant? Was he hush? No, he came, he says, not to be served, but to serve. And out of his kingly authority, he died for us, 
for his people. I mean, this is an authority unlike any other that we will ever experience. So, will you submit to his authority? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or maybe you've lost your way of late, will you respond today to his invitation? Yeah? I mean, he is Lord of all, but he will not force himself on you. So will you today willingly make him the Lord of your life and give your life to him? Now, if you'd like to, or if you'd like to find out more about it or have us chat with you about it, please contact us on the link below. All right. Now, what does all of this have to do with being unrestricted? Well, it actually follows directly. Because you see the risen Jesus, right, now with all of the authority of the universe granted to him, he is going to, without authority, erase all previous restrictions for all of his people and for all peoples of the world. Remember what he says in verse 18. Have a look again. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, let me point out something really important. It looks there as if Jesus is commanding four things, isn't it? Right? Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. But in reality, in the original language that Matthew wrote in, it's actually just one main command with three others hanging off it. And the main command is actually the second one. It's make disciples, right? That is the main verb there. The other three, go, baptize, teach, well, they hang off the main command. They hang off the main verb. They explain how we go about making disciples. Now, that main verb, make disciples, that's not too hard to understand, right? I mean, we've seen Jesus call disciples, make disciples himself. What is a disciple? Disciple is someone who follows, who learns from their master. Now, his disciples that he's made are to go and do the same to others, right? This is Jesus sort of laying out his expansion strategy for his new people. And fast forward 2,000 years, that's how Jesus has the most followers today of any other religion in the world, yeah? Now, what's significant isn't actually the make disciples part, but actually the next three words, the of and all nations. So firstly, of. Look carefully, look carefully. Jesus didn't say in all nations, did he say, but of all nations. You got that? In fact, in the original, it's even clearer. The of isn't even there, right? It's literally disciple all nations. Now, you see why this is so significant. You see where I'm getting at. Jesus' command is that all nations become his disciples. And if you get that, all of a sudden, the scope is just far bigger than you thought, right? Because it's one thing to say, Jesus has disciples in all the nations of the world. It's quite another to say Jesus has all nations of the world as his disciples. Yeah, you get the difference I'm getting at? The first one sounds possible. The second one sounds almost impossible. Jesus has all nations of the world as his disciples. We'll come back to that impossible task in a moment. But the next significant bit is, of course, the all nations bit. Now, you need to know that the word nations is not a neutral term for the Jews of Jesus' day. Quite the opposite. And in fact, the, the, the word nations there is also the same word translated as Gentiles. All right, Gentiles. 
You see, for Israel, the world was divided into two groups. There were they, the Jews, God's chosen people, then the rest, the nations or the Gentiles. And you see, for devoted Jews of Jesus' day, this is what they thought of these Gentiles, these nations. I'm going to quote a writer who explains it like this. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentile said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It wasn't even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. For that is simply be to bring about another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. So now I hope you see how Jesus' command to disciple all nations is just so revolutionary, right? Because all of a sudden, everything, everything has changed. As the risen Lord of all, with all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus has overruled all previous divisions and all previous restrictions. Because now there's a new directive, there's a new command, there's a new commission. See, now all nations, all Gentiles are invited to belong to him. And it's up to these 11 Jewish men, these disciples, plus a few more, who are to make it all happen. You got that? Of course, the next question is how? I mean, how do you make disciples of all nations? Well, those three other verbs explain how. They are to make disciples of all nations by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. You remember, those three hang off the main one of making disciples, yeah? So firstly, they're to go. They're to go because they're not to wait around for the nations to come to them. No, because of Jesus and because Jesus is risen, worship is now decentralized, right? No more temple, no more holy places, holy mountains, all that kind of stuff. No, worship is now about a person, Jesus. Worship is now mobile. It's unrestricted. So go, go to where they are because you can bring Jesus to them. There to go, and secondly, to baptize, because, well, water baptism in the name of God in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has replaced the Jewish ritual of circumcision as that sign that admits someone to full membership into God's people, yeah? Baptism has replaced it. And baptism is also portable, right? Baptism is easily administered, and yes, it's also relatively painless compared with circumcision, right? Go and baptize, Bring people into the kingdom. Go baptize. And thirdly, it's what? Teach. Why teach? Well, because teaching people about Jesus is how they actually become his disciples. In fact, the word disciple really is related to the idea of just learn, right? Disciple is a learner. And teaching, again, is now unrestricted and decentralized. Any person who has been taught can now pass on that knowledge. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be a guru. You just need God's word, the Bible. Go, baptize, teach. You do that and you will disciple nations. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day were wrong. God was never anti the nations or anti Gentiles. God was just waiting. He had an unfolding plan that needed time to come to fruition. You see, until Jesus' work on the cross was completed, And until Jesus was raised as the king and given all authority, it just wasn't the right time yet. But God's intention was always that one day this would happen and one day he would rule over all the nations and all nations would be his own. In fact, it's all over the Old Testament. 
give you an example. Psalm 86 says this, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. All right, Jesus is risen. This is now the state of affairs. No more divide, no more restrictions. All nations, all Gentiles, all people get to be his people, get to become his disciples. Now I reckon we so need to hear that, especially now, right? Especially now when church life and church mission is so disrupted. We need to get this in our head that the Great Commission has not changed. COVID or not, this is not a time for for the church to retreat, for us to get comfortable, just to look inwards. Because Jesus has an unrestricted authority as king, and he has issued an unrestricted command, and he wants us, all of us, to get involved in the task he has given us. Now, as you may know, Japan surrendered in uh, August, I think, 1945. And when they surrendered, that was the official end of the World War II. Now, what you may not know is that for years and even decades afterwards, uh, Japanese soldiers who were left behind in various holdouts, usually around the South Pacific, they were still being discovered. These soldiers cut off from the rest of the world were still holding out against what they thought were the enemies, even though Japan had surrendered years and years ago. Uh, Some even participated in local rebellions and revolutions because they refused to lay down their arms, refused to believe that Japan had lost the war. One man, his name is Hiro Onoda, he was discovered, believe it or not, in 1974, right? 1974 uh, in the jungles of the Philippines, and he refused to surrender. Uh, So they had to bring out his old commanding officer to actually order Onoda to surrender. And that's when he did finally lay down arms and surrender. Now imagine being the person who discovers one of these Japanese soldiers holding out. Now imagine being the one who is tasked with convincing them that Japan has surrendered and so that they too needed to lay down their arms and surrender. Well, believe it or not, that's sort of like a a little bit like what our task is. Those of us who are Jesus' disciples commissioned to take that message to all the world. To make disciples of all nations, right? Remember, Jesus is Lord and King over the world, over all nations. But the nations are like the Japanese soldiers in their holdouts. They need to be convinced that actually Jesus is Lord, that he is the ruler. They need us to tell them that they too are loved by God. That it's time to lay down arms and submit to Jesus' lordship. That they too can be one of his and become his disciples. That they can have eternal life and that there are no exceptions. There are no restrictions to the kind of person that Jesus welcomes. Yeah, I reckon that's why supporting the work of compassion and the reason why we have Compassion Sunday every year. I think that's why it's so important because this is really a tangible way, isn't it? To live out the reality, the unrestricted nature of the gospel. I mean, who does compassion take the love of Jesus to? The littlest of people, children, and the poorest of children, and the poorest of children in really difficult places like Muslim countries, like Indonesia, where our church's sponsor child, Ola, is, yeah? And through these programs, these children get to become Jesus' disciples. Isn't that a wonderful thing? All right, so that's our task. Our task is to, to, to bring that, to do that, to make disciples of all nations. But it's not going to be an easy one, Remember? Because it's not make disciples in all nations, it's make disciples of all nations. It's actually about all the world. It's about every nation, every people group, 
following Jesus as Lord. That's our task. You need to know that nearly one third of the world's current population live in countries and regions where it's almost impossible for them to hear about Jesus. You got that? Because they belong to what's called the least reached people groups of the world, which means they don't have churches to go to. They don't even have Bibles in their own languages often. Uh, Every individual in that people group, they don't know. They aren't acquainted with even a single Christian. Uh, This is, by the way, the kind of people that our church has sent the Chungs to go and reach in North Africa. Yeah, Uh, They're in really hard places, hard to reach places. So why do we do it? Why do we do it? Well, because again, Jesus is Lord, isn't he? Lord overall. And they are the nations that need to know that he has come to save them and call them to be his disciples. Now we're going to hear more about that next week, Global Mission Sunday. We've got something really special for you. But I hope you see how Jesus actually has given us, his church, his disciples, an impossible task to disciple all nations, yeah? That is impossible. That's huge. But I reckon it's meant to be impossible, isn't it? It's meant to be humanly impossible so that we would know that it would take his power and his presence to bring it about. Because what does Jesus say right at the end of of the Great Commission? Remember verse 20, he says this, And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here. I suspect that for some of you, it's been a while, maybe a very long time, since you felt, really felt, the presence and the power of Jesus in your life. Now, there may be many reasons for that. If there is sin that you are hiding in your life, deliberate, unrepentant sin, that's almost always the first reason, right? If it is, it's time for you to repent of it, confess it. But for others, well, maybe for a lot of you here, it's not that. It's not the the hidden sin in your life. It's just that your life now revolves around something other than the urgent task that Jesus has given to his people. You know what I mean? Your life is about other things. But it didn't always, wasn't always the case that you used to care more about the salvation of your family and friends. You used to give yourself wholeheartedly time, energy, finances to the mission of your local church. You used to actually lead and teach and disciple others. You used to be bolder in speaking about Jesus, taking opportunities. But somewhere along the way, you've lost your zeal. And that focus for your life has just become really blurry. And now you're wondering why Jesus' presence and his power seem less real to you. Or maybe God today is calling you back to his task. To take his commission out of the edges of your life and put it right back in the center of your life. Is he calling you to do that? Because Jesus says in the context of the Great Commission that he will be with us. And so the more you live out the Great Commission, the more you will experience him. Now, Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's ever a time when Jesus is not with you or not with his people. It's just that the experience of his presence and his power by the Holy Spirit will be most real when we are up to, when we make our lives about the impossible task that he has given us in the Great Commission. You know what I mean? The more that you make your life about that, the more you will experience his presence and his power, guaranteed. His word to you today may be to get back in sync with his purposes for the world. Right? Don't let this confusing and difficult season take you away from that. 
Because COVID or not, Jesus is Lord and his unrestricted great commission has been given to you and to me and to us to carry out. So let's do it with boldness. Let's do it with passion. Let's do it with great joy. Let's do it no matter what the cost. Because it is such a wonderful privilege, isn't it? As disciples and followers of Jesus to serve our Lord and Master like that, to be right in the center of his plans to call the nations back to himself. There's no greater privilege than that. So let's get to it. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you've given us an impossible task to disciple nations, but you've promised to be with us until the very end of the age. So empower us now. Stir in us today. Call us back to your purposes as a church, as individuals, so that all the nations that already belong to you might confess that you are Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, here's a discussion question for you to carry on and chatting about and responding in your groups and in your families. It's this, what are some steps you can take to make Jesus' great commission even more central to your life? You got that? All right. Compassion Sunday. So please get behind the work of compassion. Next week is Global Mission Sunday. Um, I'm excited about that. Hope you are too. All right. See you again soon. Bye.